Welcome to the Product Podcast, brought to you by Product School, the podcast where you get fresh insight from leaders at top tech companies and startups. Remember, you can learn product management in person at our 15 campuses worldwide or study with us online. Visit productschool.com to learn more about our courses. You can also hang out with the leaders from these podcasts at our hundreds of annual events and catch us at ProductCon, the world's largest PM conference that takes place every year across the United States and in London. So firstly, thank you very much. I just wanted to give you a bit of background to me first. So my name's Jen Drabble. Um, I head up the data product and science team for Cards and Payments within Barclays. Cards and Payments as an organization covers payment processing, acquiring, commercial and business-to-business payments, point-of-sale financing, and then we also have some consumer cards businesses in the US and Germany as well. Um, before that, like it was mentioned, um, I was part of Barclays Africa Group, specifically working for the ABSA brand um, based out of Johannesburg for two and a half years, which was a, an absolutely incredible experience. Um, and prior to that, I've worked in customer experience, design, and digital teams as well. Um, at the moment, my team, I've got a team of re- 10 really great individuals with a, a wealth of um, different experience and variety of skill sets. And what I wanted to talk to you a little bit about today was just about how we created our team, um, what we think about in building multi-skilled teams, particularly in the data product and science space within a large organization like mine. Um, and it's an approach we've given a lot of fo- um, focus and thought to, and it's also radically evolved over the last few years as well. Um, In fact, two years ago, I was asked to present on a similar topic to this. Um, At the time, my team had just won Gartner's best data science and analytics team globally, which was an awesome achievement for a team that was based out of Africa at the time to be competing on the global stage, and we couldn't have been prouder. Um, During that talk, I outlined a few things that I thought were really fundamental to our success. So I wanted to just start with those to give you a feeling and flavor of where we started and how we were thinking, and then I'm going to progress on to how we've evolved over that time and what we're thinking about now. Um, So the number one, firstly, was around be creative when you face challenges. Um, Financial inclusion in Africa is low. 12 million adults don't have a bank account. Of those that do, 43% of them don't use them in any meaningful way, meaning that the salary is paid in um, at the beginning of the month or the end of the month, and then all of the salary is withdrawn as cash, and so you get no data in terms of how they're interacting with that product. Um, However, it's at odds with a very tech-savvy population where one in two own a smartphone, 90% have a Facebook account, and nearing 100% have Wi-Fi. Um, So whilst the behavioral data and transactional data that we would normally use and see from our product sets wasn't available or was very limited, there was clearly opportunities there for us to think about how can we um, generate new data sets that can give us insights into these customers. For example, um, we noticed a large number of customers weren't activating their accounts. Now, this is a really painful process in South Africa. You can spend up to two hours in branch just to open a basic current account. So we just couldn't understand why someone would go through all of that pain and then just never use their account. Um, And we had no data as to why they weren't using it, because they walked out of the branch and we've got nothing. Um, So what we actually thought about doing was we created a guidance bot in Facebook Messenger that kind of answered lots of different FAQs that could really monitor the pain points and struggles people are having in activating their account. And this then gave us the insight to be needed to improve the product and to make it more relevant to our customer base. Um, So this creativity has been something that's been really key to our team's success. 
Um, the next thing was focus on customers. Now, that is so obvious, and I'm sure everyone up, um, would uh, attest to the same thing. Um, but for us, that really meant organizational changes. So we had to bring our back-end technology teams closer to our product teams to really put the customer at the heart of every decision that we were making. Um, and doing this really highlighted a gap in how we thought about two of our main roles within the organization to be able to build products and, most importantly, scale products to millions of customers when you take these live. Um, specifically, the gaps that we encountered was in both our kind of classic product manager role profile, but also our propositional manager role profile. Um, we often saw within our product manager role profile that whilst we had a real detail-orientated approach to delivery, there was the lack of experience in the big data, um, in the complex space of big data. This meant that the integration of data typically bookended a project, so you would have a huge amount of research in the upfront design phase, and then you would have a load of focus either as you're gearing up to product launch or post-product launch in, what are my KPIs? How do I um, track success? What do the different metrics look like? Rather than thinking about data the whole way through in your delivery roadmap in terms of how do I make decisions and how am I going to prioritize what I'm going to build out and take into live. Um, in addition, in our propositional manager role, um, where though, and what I mean by propositional manager is those that derive insights and craft a value proposition, that tended to fall flat in execution for us. And this was because once the proposition is defined, it's transitioned to an execution team. So the very real and nearly always realized risk here is that the initial benefits or business case or customer focus around what's really going to make this stand out as a proposition could be lost or doesn't transition to that execution team, meaning that delivery decisions are made without really consideration of what the results are expected. So to do this, we really wanted to focus on how do we address our gaps. We needed a dedicated role that was, could deliver successful big data products and services at scale. We termed this role data product, um, and it was a real focus on these kind of three things, so bringing together design, digital, and commercial acumen with an understanding of the big data and back-end technology. Um, so these data product managers were accountable in the same way that we would see any product managers for all delivery. They're the glue in it all coming together, and they ensured solutions could be defined, delivered, and then scaled. Um, they also ensured execution didn't become some sort of complex mathematical challenge in the meantime. Um, Finally, the other thing that we really found was avoiding the data science black hole. Um, coupling data product alongside data scientists was really key to us making any success out of this team. It ensured the insights that we found were put into meaningful context and created value to those it was shared with. I really wanted our data sciences to avoid just churning models in the background, but actually and just operating within this siloed black hole environment, never able to see the light of day. Um, everyone has to be empowered and everyone has to have real ownership over all their delivery. And when you pull together that passion for computer science, data solutions, statistics, alongside customer-obsessed and detail-oriented product managers, this is where you really can, and we did, win award-winning solutions. So fast forward two years, a lot of that's still the same. We're still seeing a huge amount of value of that. The role of data products still exists, and our data product manager's focus is still to go and identify those customer-centric use cases and design optimized end-to-end -end journeys. We then use models, open source them internally, allow for contribution and collaboration, and allow them to be scaled across different product sets where applicable. This was working really, really well, except we had this dependency on a one-to-one -one partnership of data product and data science. And this was limiting our capacity on what we could deliver because our team was becoming more and more in demand. 
how could we make the team leaner and how could we provide a breadth of experiences and skills for the team to develop and enabling us to increase that velocity? So the ultimate question, therefore, was how do you enable data scientists to communicate the value of their work to the organization and ensure they're never in that black hole scenario that I described earlier? Well, to do this, you need to be able to influence and you need to be able to shape business strategy and goals. It's completely meaningless if you can't enable your senior stakeholders to act on that brilliant insights you've discovered. And you really need them to act on it or to understand it to be able to get the sponsorship and investment and, importantly, headspace that your team needs to be able to go on and deliver new and creative and innovative solutions. Ultimately, unless you can save or generate money, your business stakeholders aren't really interested. Um, so how do you achieve this? Well, I think three things are really important to that. Um, firstly, you need to create a multi-skilled team by developing multi-skilled individuals. Secondly, you can ensure your success by learning how to tell captivating stories. And finally, create an environment where people can develop and where they want to stay. So how do you build a multi-skilled team? We previously thought about our roles as pretty distinct, so the creative half of the brain and the scientist half of the brain. Um, we created our data product managers. They understood the business. They were um, much more commercially focused. They had experience in design. They could ideate. They could come up with new ideas. And then we had our data scientists, who are, with their typically left-thinking role profiles, hugely technical, amazingly impressive qualifications and CVs, and yet no specification for the soft skills that they'd um, be required to have to enable to translate their results into large organizations. Um, so the challenge then was, how do we think about pulling these two sides together and challenge those stereotypes to build out um, a more multi-skilled team? Um, I think there's been a lot talked about in the past around the art of data science, and I think art is a really great term for it. Um, what I struggle with is that art historically has been typically used as a bit of a synonym for like mystical, magical, unknown potentially, um, whereas I actually consider this as it being a transition to an art. Um, we developed a hybrid role, and this was focused on that design thinking approach that recognizes data scientists as creative problem solvers who can apply their technical knowledge to a myriad of business problems. Um, now, I think this is springing up across lots of different industries. When you look and um, explore different hybrid roles, um, you're seeing it talked about everywhere. Um, the book that I really love is by Emma Gannon, who talks about the multi-hyphen method, uh, method, and her brilliant podcast, Control or Delete, if you haven't listened to that before. I love it. It's so interesting. Um, but what she does is really challenges the multi-dimensional aspects of our personalities and how you no longer have to be categorized as just one thing. So the rise of internet and mobile phones mean you, means you can be super flexible. Um, you don't have to fit in your own box anymore, and you don't have to be at your desk for certain hours of the day. So as she says, the stigma of being a jack of all trades is now being dispelled, and actually having more strings to your bow is essential in getting ahead in the modern world of work. So when talking about this topic with my team, um, one of our hybrids had a really great analogy for how we were starting to operate and how we were starting to communicate with a revolution sweeping a global team sport, basketball, and most particularly positionless basketball. Now, I'm not really a basketball fan, so you're going to have to bear with me for this analogy, but I really love the concept behind this. Um, when you do a quick Google of positionless basketball, you've got a wealth of media outlets starting to champion this new thinking. So how does it work? Well, traditionally, the foundation of the basketball team strategy has been based on predefined positions. You've got your stereotypical skills that define each role, and these are largely prescribed by your height, which you can't really control. 
Guided by analytics, however, this is starting to change. The game's becoming more offense-orientated and demanding players to become more versatile and more flexible. So that means to remain competitive, modern players are having to foster a range of skills across all five historical positions. Much like a basketball team, a data science team is really hard and expensive to build. That means that large co um, companies can often fall into the trap of just wanting the team to do data science work and operating within that black hole. But when you really engage these individuals and you include them in, and invite them into the product design and ideation process, this is where you're going to get so much benefit. To quote Harvard Business Review, pulling data scientists away from their screens and out into a world um, outside of that produces really powerful results. Um, so secondly, how do you ensure success? We've got to learn to tell captivating stories. Back in 2008, Google's chief economist, Dr. Varian, said the ability to take data, to be able to understand it, to process it, to extract it, to visualize it, to communicate it, this is going to be a hugely important skill in the next decade. Well, we're over a decade later, and it's a skill we're all still really struggling with, in my opinion. Um, when you invest so much time in your methodology and your understanding of the data, the exploratory analysis, and peer code reviews, the ability to tell your story can be easily dismissed as a bit of an afterthought. Or worse than that, not even afterthought, seen as trivial or a waste of time, and hey presto, you're back to meaningless work, but no one's actioning. Um, in LinkedIn's most promising jobs of 2019, data scientist comes out top. 4,000 job openings and over 56% year-on-year growth. That's pretty impressive, but interestingly, the skills listed for it are so far so standard. You've got mining, analysis, Python, machine learning. Product manager, by the way, is number 14. We're going to have to try and get that a little bit higher up. Um, scroll down, though, and you start to get to the top five most in-demand soft skills. You've got creativity, persuasion, collaboration, adaptability, time management. I think this sums up the hiring strategy of the industry really, really well. So much emphasis is put on data preparation and analysis skills, and not the softer side you need to convert your output into impact. Many individuals have extremely impressive technical qualifications, yet they're at risk of often being despondent um, within large organizations who just cannot make their results tangible. Um, Carmen Gallo, the author of Talk Like Ted, believes stories to be the biggest driver in being rated a successful talk. In his analysis of over 150 hours of the all-time best TED talks, stories make up 65% of the content. And in the most memorable talks, like the ones that we all know, Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In, stories are higher. They're like up towards 70%. And the killer quote from me from one of these best of all-time TED talks, I think, is this one um, from Brené Brown, who actually is a research professor, but is more and more starting to describe themselves as a storyteller. And I just think this is so powerful. Stories are just data with soul. Um, in fact, the very process of telling or listening to a story can literally put your brain in sync. Um, neuroscientists at Princeton University have found that when you actually tell an emotional story, that's the only kind of dialogue that people will lock into. There's a melding of two brains. The listen locks to your story, and your brainwaves are literally in sync proving that we as humans are totally wired for a story. And while stories matter, so does how we communicate them. From dawn of time, Homo sapiens have learned how to communicate with each other through a form of visual language. From cave paintings and hieroglyphics to the alphabet and now emojis, um, these are super um, powerful in terms of how we relate to each other. Today, we've got upwards of 9 billion emojis being sent daily in messaging apps. 
and nearly half of all posts posted on Instagram contain them as well. This really highlights how important they are in popular culture. Um, in fact, some of our most awarded storytellers of all times, we've heard about Steve Jobs already, but my personal favorite, maybe a little bit more niche, would be, for example, Nora Ephron, the writer of When Harry Met Sally and other really great movies that I recommend everyone watching. Um, Actually, the invention of emojis has often been attributed back to her, where in the 1980s, she wrote in her book, Heartburn, I'm afraid I put a little face and smile next to the recipe. I'm not the sort of person who puts little faces on things, but there are times when nothing else will do. Storytelling, then, is just part of our brain's chemicals, changing our ways, and it's critical to forming the bonds you need to be successful in the modern world. And the stronger your skill set is in visually communicating, the more powerful your impact's going to be. In my case, emojis have become so important to my team that my team are actually creating new ones to import into the messaging channel to then send. So we have specific dedicated emojis in our group chats now. Um, and lastly, create and build an environment where people can develop, but also importantly, want to stay. Um, going back to our sports analogy, according to positionlessbasketball.com, uh, three things are really important and central to this strategy. So first, space. Create opportunities. In basketball, that's driving those three-point shots and, drive, and drives to the basket. Um, motion. You need a degree of freedom to account for the unexpected. And then finally, sharing. Players are happier because they're all actively involved in the offense. They can grow and they increase their understanding. What becomes really apparent here is the focus on people over positions. This is the key success to a team. Freedom, happiness, flexibility, growing, this is what really will drive your success. Therefore, in building out a multi-skilled team of hybrid roles, you need a culture with a focus on experience and growth that will become hard to leave, with the team, whole team orientated towards the collective success. Um, in a Medium post, the Airbnb B &B engineering team take this one step further, positioning their data team as the voice of the customer. Now, I really, really love this because it's a focus that data isn't numbers, it's actually people. We create data. Um, and they say, data is an act of interpretation, translating the voice of the customer into a language more suitable for decision making. If you can get business to understand that data science isn't this mythical thing, but it actually represents your voice of the customers and that what you're doing is this art of translating that into something you can make decisions with, that's when you're really winning. Um, motion or variety is also really key. Providing the time and most importantly the space to experiment, to work on different projects and to test your strengths in new areas you haven't had the opportunity to experience yet. Culturally, what becomes really important is understanding your team members' aspirations. You need to identify these, and what I do is map these out against what they want to achieve and how they need to be able to achieve this. So, for example, you need to be able to have really honest and open conversations with your team. If someone in my team wants to go and run their own company one day, then what I know what they're going to need is stellar experiences and presentation and pictures to get them through all those funding rounds. Aligning your team aspirations to the skills that they want to develop for their ultimate career goals and aspirations means you've got a far higher chance of keeping them an active member of your team for as long as you possibly can, while still enabling them on that journey and keeping them as happy as possible and feeling like they're growing and learning. Finally, just like basketball, sharing has become pivotal to our team. Within mine, that means that it's a, as flat a structure as possible. Everyone is involved as much as they possibly can be in every single decision, from prioritizing our book of work, new demand coming through, taking decisions, and collectively coming up and driving towards our end vision and goal. 
However, this isn't just limited internally to our team, it's also about active partnership and collaboration externally. So I guess to conclude, to build a data science team that is recognized for its value, you're really gonna need multi-skilled individuals telling captivated stories and supported by a culture that empowers them. I'd say our strategy has evolved a little bit and we're starting to think about how we start to merge this product manager role more closely with a data scientist. Um, we're gonna continue evolving based on what's working best for the collective and actually what's been working really nicely in our organization is 90-day um, structures. So we align on one or two things to focus on for a period of time. Everyone comes together in a virtual team and then that's disbanded once you've achieved that um, particular goal. Um, so I hope this gives you some insight and value into how we're thinking about trying to unlock the value of data science and embed that into our products and services, how you need to overcome some of these challenges, particularly in large and siloed organizations, and how we're setting ourselves up to achieve this. Um, if anyone else has any thoughts or proof points, um, definitely let me know. I love hearing case studies. Um, and if you're looking to join a team that likes people, customers, and stories, come find me afterwards. <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Product Podcast. If you like this episode, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. For more product insights, head over to productschool.com.